Welcome to Trek Companion episode 25. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are discussing uh, DS9's fourth season, episodes The Muse, For the Cause, and To the Death. Victory is life! (laughs) (laughs) The Muse, season four, episode 20, production number 493. Original air date, April 29th, 1996. Teleplay by Renee Echevarria, story by Renee Echevarria and Majel Barrett Roddenberry, directed by David Livingston, music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Majel Barrett as Loxana Troy, Michael Ansar as Jayal, and Meg Foster as Anaya. Loxana Troy pays a visit to Oda's office with, a, with surprising news that she is pregnant. She is thrilled to be having a baby boy, but her Tavian husband insists she adhere to the custom of giving him their son to be raised by men until the age of 16. Unwilling to give her baby away, Loxana asks Odo to protect her while she gives birth to her son on Deep Space Nine. Meanwhile, a mysterious alien woman named Oyana arrives on the station, telling Jake that she can help him with his writing. But what are her real intentions? I could see you were somewhere else. Some place you were inventing. I'm uh, working on a story. I can spot a creative soul galaxy away. My name is Onaya. Jake Sisko. Okay, the muse. So, you know, in my notes here, I wrote down muse that feeds off his creative work. Is this even a good idea? <laughs> and, and then I was, I was, I was, uh, one of the things I do to prep for this so I can, you know, study the episodes a little better is, uh, I always read, uh, Erdman's DS9 Companion, which is a very good book. And there was a quote in there from Ron Moore that I had to read. Uh, this is Ron Moore. The notion of this exotic, beautiful, older woman who comes to you and gets excited by watching you write <laughs> is like the most ridiculous idea. <laughs> Only a writer would come up with that. Uh, think of it. You're sitting there writing away and she's just entranced. We watched that scene in dailies and we thought, are we insane? What are we doing? How did we get here? <laughs> well i think that's probably why the um the a story and the b story you're not quite sure which is which yeah in this yeah. one yeah well it was originally conceived the other way around um because uh, you know this this story was uh at least the part of loxana um showing up pregnant that was uh major barrett's idea and that's why she has a story credit on here mm-hmm so that was originally the A story, and then as they were developing developing it, and they added this the stuff with um, Jake and and the Muse, that kind of became the A story. But even the B story of Luaxana, um, it's not terribly good. What do you guys think? I think I think you've got two. B plus stories. It's like, it's like they don't, you know, neither are strong enough to come to the forefront. And I don't think either of them are awful ideas. I mean, I know, I know that quote you're quoting about the writer talking about, Oh, this is an awful. I don't don't think it's an awful idea. I think it's execution. I think it's, I I can't really put my finger on it, but it's, it's that you have two stories that you can't tell which one's really more, more upfront, which I guess isn't, isn't an awful thing, but they just kind of, it just kind of goes, you know, and there's going back and forth between these. And, and they're both, and they're both kind of creepy twisted in their own way, right? You got the, the creepy old lady with, with Jake, and you've got, <laughs> and then Loxana being pregnant. Oh, it's all creepy. <laughs> Loxana. Oh, and then there's the, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Creepy old lady that's pregnant showing up, and you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, a, it's like a feature film, and where all the lead roles are populated by character actors. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, I could say that's true. I remember. I remember when I, this episode started. I kept thinking. Um, I kept thinking there was more to it than there was because um, there was a scene, you know, where um, Loxana tells Odo that you know you, he has to convince her husband that to get married. And I was thinking there was more. Then the next scene was that they're getting married. I was thinking I thought there was like more to this episode. And then the yeah. same thing with the with the the writing the muse you know there's that one scene where he's writing in in her quarters and then the next thing you know they're you know off in one of the conduits and i kept thinking i thought there was more to this episode but i guess that was just in my head i thought in my head i I remembered something like Mm -hmm. i thought 
uh, Jay all <laughs> after seeing that she's about to go through this winning or something, I, I was thinking that like he, he can, would come up and say, all right, we don't have to raise the baby the traditional way. You know, we can both take a part in it. Just stay with me or whatever. But that's not what happens. You know, mm-hmm. did anybody mm-hmm. else think that would have been a more sound? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe. I, I know. I know the ending itself wasn't particularly satisfying. You know, so and it's something. all the more depressing because distressing, I should say, because this is the last time we ever see Loaxana. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I was wondering that. I couldn't remember if there was one more time where she showed up on Odo, you know, no, because she human. Yeah, this was her last, uh, Angel's last on-screen performance. Um, I did like the scenes with um, her and Odo at the end, you know, and, you know, he Odo wants her to stay and she explains to him why she can't. Um, I thought those were touching here's, scenes. I also thought the wedding scene was touching. I thought Odo was genuine. Is, and, but here's my problem with it. Is there anything new there? And I, I feel like I've said this before when Loxana has shown up. It, like even that conversation that she has in the security office before she leaves, it seems to me that they've had that almost same conversation in past episodes. You know, neither mm-hmm. – certainly she isn't advanced at all in the episode. Maybe Odo is a little bit – yeah, I could see Odo, Odo's – you know. Well, the difference here is Odo wants her to stay this time. Yeah, but but for the very reasons that she says, you know, mm-hmm. she's he, he's just used to having her around. He's not like in love with her. But but you're right that that is the one change that we kind of even even within this episode we see we we see him undergo that change. He's obviously very uncomfortable when he first sees her, but he very quickly warms up to the idea of having her around. And and the speech that he gives when during in their marriage scene about you know. Uh, before I met her, my world was very, was much smaller, and for the first time in my life, someone wanted me for who I was. That seems very genuine, and I, and I believe him when he when he says it all. Um, but yeah, I think I think Steve, that you hit it on the, on the head there. I think it just feels like a B story. Everything in there feels like a B story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's all given a story treatment, and it doesn't hold up. Yeah. There are some things here I like. Meg Foster is awesome, even though that oh, yeah. character, whatever. But Meg Foster is great. Mm-hmm. She's like silky, slimy. I don't know. It's she's mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. creepy. Uh, yeah, I think it's the eyes. The eyes that do it yeah. the most. Yeah, I also like. I also like the effects. I like her makeup um, and what they did as it progressed. I also liked mm-hmm. um, the. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like the, the effect of taking the whatever job out of Jake's head whenever. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, you know, but I'm more yeah. I like when she's when she appears and disappears. That kind of stuff was creepy and and fun, but but I thought it was pretty good and new. So yeah, I, I think like that her she's quarters. taking out his mojo. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, she's she bottle it. I like her quarters. She spent a lot of time working on her quarters, putting off those, you know, sheets over the windows, you know, had a nice, um, <laughs> um, I love genie in the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, a, it wasn't a furnished place. She was renting. <laughs> and it shows how naive Jake still is. I mean, it just kind of, all right, I'll come by and see what's going on, you know? And I mean, you know, it's when, when I was his age, an older woman asked me to stop by her apartment and she lived alone, I definitely would have been thinking something else. Yeah. Not she's going to help me be a better writer. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, she has one line. I don't remember what it is. Something defective. Whatever you might be thinking, put it out of your mind. And that's it. Yeah. And again, when I was his age, that one line would not have been enough. <laughs> uh, but For those of you who don't know, Brian was a player when he was young. No, not true. Not true. Um. <laughs> uh, I like uh, well, uh, O'Brien had a line that made me laugh out loud at the wedding, which is you know a sudden thing and for everybody. Oh, Otis getting married, okay. You know, there's the scene. Um, I don't remember who says it, but somebody O'Brien asks who some who Jay All is, I think, or somebody. Somebody says, "Oh, that's Loxana's husband," <laughs> and then O'Brien says, "Oh, good of him to come." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Um, what do we got for what's this is about? Um, 
So maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but at least given Odo's, what Odo has to say um, to convince Jayal and everyone else that he loves Luoxana, and I think he does, but he's not in love with her, but, you know, he loves her. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch, but if maybe Luoxana is kind of Odo's muse in the way that... Um, What's Meg Foster's character, Anaya, mm-hmm. is, um, what's it about? What do, you, what do you guys got for what's it about? Um, this one's hard because, like um, Stephen was saying earlier, it's um, it's basically two B stories. I didn't even think of it that way. I thought it, it was like kind of like two A stories kind of mushed together, but I like um, Stephen's explanation better. Um, I, I had a hard time coming up with what this one is about. Um I think what you were just saying a second ago, I think Odo genuinely cares for Lawaxana. I think that comes through in that scene. I think um, she helped him grow as a person, and maybe this is the, like, this is the conclusion of that relationship. I, I think they could have done more with it down the road. I think they were, could have been really great friends, and they probably would have been if she did come back, but... Man, I said I, I'm not. I kind of drew a blank when I was trying yeah. to figure out what this one was about. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brian, what you said is about as close as I could come up with. I mean, if you really wanted to try to grab something, maybe the notion of um, in both of these B plus stories or whatever, the thing in common is that you have a, a woman that's that's bringing out something in someone. It's 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 making the the making the person you know learn and become something new. Yet it, they're not the best thing for them in the long term. And I think there's a parallel in real life to that. I mean, I think we meet people sometimes that take us on a journey, but it's not necessarily the best person for us in the in the long haul. You know, I guess kind of like I'm breaking the mold. I mean, you know, because. Yeah, Odo says, um, you know, he, he liked being alone. He liked being distance, and she showed him that he could be more. So that's kind of the the yeah. muse thing. Yeah, you know, and, and the relates. idea that the idea that that can be a distraction um, mm-hmm. toward putting your energies into really finding what's out, uh, what's important, or or no, no, that's not it. Uh, but into really. Um, you know, like say in Odo's case, if he was with Loaxana, he would never spend any time <laughs> trying to get Kira. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think that's um, that's a, a good lesson in life, and and it's it's important to always look around you and ask yourself, "Am I really happy?" You know, is this, what's the difference here between love and in love, and and you know, what state am I in? And and this is important. Um, this episode it touches on that it doesn't really get into it very much and I have a hard time seeing seeing that at all in the Jake storyline the mm-hmm. Jake and the Muse storyline um, and that Lawaxana Odo story is if anything in this episode it is the B story mm-hmm. so in so much as I don't have much of an answer for what it's about it doesn't sound like we really do we're kind of stretching uh, it's no stretch then to say that the episode doesn't hold up quite so well for us um, uh, as Ira Bear was fond of saying they always start off with great ideas <laughs> um, sometimes the great ideas miss the mark and, and I agree with I think it was you Steve a second ago saying that there, there are, is a kernel of a good idea in here it's not completely fundamentally bad that this creature would feed off of someone's creative work um, but the uh, implementation here is very lacking. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> maybe it doesn't hold up so well. But, um, Meg Foster is cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know what would have made this episode better? Hmm. Garrick? Yeah. <laughs> so let's get we- on to an episode that has him. <laughs> <laughs> but first, let's do Six Degrees for the Muse. Uh, Steve. Yes. Michael Ansara plays Troy's husband, Jayal. He's best known to Star Trek fans as the Klingon Kang, of course. There have been six Trek series as of this podcast, and Ansara played Kang in half of them. Which three Treks found Ansara playing Kang? 
Hmm. Alrighty. So you say six, so you're counting the animated series? I am counting the animated series. Okay. <laughs> um, See, it, I think it used to not be canon, and then <laughs> once Paramount actually bought the rights and owned it, then they decided it was okay for it to be canon. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a business decision. <laughs> gotcha. Business decision. Right. Well, two of them are obvious. Um, and the third, I'm, I'm trying to recall. I th- I'm thinking what the... Okay. So give me the obvious ones first. Original series and DS9. Okay. And, and uh, Voyager? That is correct. And for no bonus points, can you name the episodes? Um, in original series, Errand of Mercy and DS9, the, I can't remember the title with the three of them, and then Voyager, the 25th anniversary episode. <clears throat> I can't remember the titles. Uh, 35th anniversary episode. 35th, rather, yes. Was flashback. DS9's episode was Blood Oath, and original series, wasn't it Day of the Dove? Day of the Dove, yeah. I'm sorry. Right. That's another Aaron Mercy was the other. The other, right. they all the Klingons look alike to me. Yeah. Yeah. Adam. No, no bonus for you, Steve. <laughs> uh, Meg Foster plays the muse Anaya. Foster is well-known among genre fans. Among her many film credits, she starred in 1987's Master of the Universe with Voyager's Robbie McNeil. What character did she play in that movie? And I'm asking you because I remember I asked about this movie a while back because Frank Langella was also in it, and I thought it would be so easy for Steve, and he did not get it. So I'm giving you the He-Man question. Who did Meg <laughs> Foster play in Master of the Universe alongside... Robbie McNeil and Frank Langella. What character did she play in Masters yeah. of the Universe? Oh wow! Um, See, on he would have gotten this one. <laughs> <sighs> oh my goodness! It's been eons since I've even I can even there, recall most of the names of the characters in okay. Masters of the There's Universe. There's only um, so many evil so, women. Oh, well, she's a man. I know this is a ride, but Selena, I don't know why that's popping into my head. No, sir. Uh, Steve. No. Well, I've seen that movie, but it's been a long time, but I'm guessing Evil Lynn. You are correct. Evil Lynn. Evil Lynn. Two and oh. For the Cause, Season 4, Episode 21, Production Number 494, Original Air Date, May 6, 1996, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Story by Mark Jared O'Connell, Directed by James L. Conway, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Kenneth Marshall as Michael Eddington, Tracy Mindorf as Zial, John Prosky as Brethaw, Stephen Vincent Lee as Lieutenant Reese, and Andrew Robinson as Garrick. <laughs> With the conflict between the Klingons and the Cardassians taking its toll on Cardassia, Starfleet has agreed to a shipment of desperately needed replicators for the Cardassian system, and they are set to pass through Deep Space Nine. Odo and Lieutenant Commander Eddington of Starfleet Security recommend heightened measures to deter both Klingons and Maquis from stealing the shipment. Then they reveal some troubling news to Sisko. They believe the Maquis have a smuggler aboard the station, and they have shreds of evidence that suggest it is Cassidy Yates. Cassidy? Working for the Marquis? That's impossible. I certainly hope so. Smuggling with intent to supply a terrorist organization is a serious offense. Where's your evidence? Okay, um, everybody remembers, our, our listeners remember that um, Adam Caesar is our co-host here, but um, Adam Embry, Steve's brother, is our audio engineer. So this message is for audio Embry. Or for Adam Embry, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here, and I want you to add an echo effect in post here. Did everybody else uh, on, the, on just the last three words? I think this is important. Did everybody else in this episode at the very beginning see the triangle pillows from, from the, the future? future? Okay, so I'm hoping he added the echo effect. Did you guys see those? <laughs> uh, the no. triangle. I've seen no? the, Oh my seen... god, they had their pillows were triangles. Yeah, I've seen they look like so uncomfortable. <laughs> wow, they were terrible. You haven't yeah. seen the triangle pillows before? They've used them before. I know, but I've never seen anybody have their head on one. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Cisco and Cassie. It's kind of like in Next Gen when uh, uh, like Picard goes on holiday and he has that, his suitcase is that tube thing. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, ow, I couldn't even hold that there. It just, <laughs> uh, you know, in the future they have... Uh, uncomfortable taste, I guess. Well, the only beds that, and I would, in any of the, well, I mean, Voyager looked like they had comfortable beds. And maybe the Enterprise D 
had comfortable beds. But yeah, I would agree. The Cardassian beds look extremely uncomfortable. Even the pillows. Shooting, shooting them laying on the pillows is probably like when you go to a, get a, get a, get your picture taken, you know, sitting on things and you always they get in the most awkward position and that's just <laughs> right for the photographer. You know, it's like, hold your head this way and you get cramps and stuff from what they do to try to make you look natural. That's probably how it was shot. You know, there's a little, <laughs> little rocks or whatever here. Yeah, you got it. But now I need you to look comfortable laying <laughs> on the triangle pillow. From the future. <laughs> <laughs> echo, echo. Echo. Uh, all right. So, first of all, this episode is better than the last one, primarily because... Uh, it has Garrick in it. That is correct, because it has Garrick in it. Why else is this better? It's got some betra- action. Betra- it's got a little bit of everything. It's got some betrayal, mm-hmm. some intrigue, mystery. It's got a little bit of everything. Even some comedy. I mean, even the moments between um, Garrick and Bashir are funny. The moments, um, it's kind of, it's kind of fun seeing Garrick be extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, it's very. He is the scene in uh, the tailor shop whenever, um, in his tailor shop whenever uh, <clears throat> Quark suggests that maybe Kara came as part of a really complicated conspiracy to make him think that it's okay for him to go visit her in the hollow suite and then she'll kill him and then Quirk says nah too complicated but she still plants that that um that seed seed in his head yeah um and I actually I like that B story but let's talk about the A story for a minute I'm, I'm curious when I started this episode I didn't remember that. I thought the Eddington thing was later. I didn't realize it was here that. Um, yeah, it did seem to kind of sneak up on us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, we I mean, not that, <clears throat> and I think that's where you, you, mean, even, you know, as many times as we've seen this series, I mean, it even surprises you again because they don't even give a, a hint or a shadow of, you know, of this guy turning. On Cisco and Starfleet. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's straight laced. I mean, watching it now, it kind of makes sense. You got the straight laced guy, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, but uh, yeah, there, there, there's no hint of it at, mm-hmm. even in any of the other previous well, the episodes. Only that he's in. sort of hint we ever got. Uh, the episode, I believe it was called The Adversary. Isn't it the season three cliffhanger? Yeah. Season two. So season three. Yeah. Season three mm-hmm. cliffhanger. It's the one mm-hmm. where, yeah. Um, so that my favorite scene in that episode was. The Eddington Cisco scene, just the two of them, and and Eddington has the line about, you know, it's a good. I, I'm glad that you got promoted to captain. Frankly, everybody wants to be a captain, not even an admiral. People want to be in the captain's chair. And Cisco says, "Hey, you could always transfer to command." And then he has the great line about, "Well, then who would guard the admiral?" Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a beat there when he said before he says that line. So. Do you think the writers knew then that they no, were going to do this? No, but but at the time, I I, I like to I, I interpreted that scene more like, you know, he's just he's he's a guy that's comfortable in his place, you know, mm-hmm. and realizes that he's never going to be a captain, and he's okay with that. But you could read the scene as being, he knows that he would never be able to be a captain, even if he switched to command, and maybe he really does want that, which would make it easy for him to, um start to kind of believe in these things that the McKee believe in because in that organization he can be a captain you know he can mm. he can kind of be in charge he can he can do these things where he's feel like where where if he has this um this uh need to be able to fight for a cause um he can he can take care of that need in a way that he's not ever going to not only would he not do if he was in the federation but he's really not going to do as the security guy which is really just the taking orders guy you know mm-hmm. yeah the, the scene happens to it, it work that scene you're talking about it works in hindsight going forward and maybe they i mean I, I don't think they knew then but i mean going forward we're going to learn more about eddington than we ever thought we would and he becomes a very interesting complex character <laughs> What about his 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 whole speech down right at the end there? So so he turns out to be the traitor, which I think that's one of the reasons I I'm always surprised. It's like it's like a quarter into this episode before I'm like, oh yeah, this is the this is the episode where it's Eddington that's the traitor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it just it means that it's an effective episode because that's what he's doing is trying to send 
you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. send us down this this wrong lane and, you know, toward Cassidy instead. Well, I mean, not that she isn't being a traitor, but you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, from that point of view, it's it's an effective episode because even though I've seen it, I'm still like, is it, no, it's next season is when Eddington turns out to be a traitor. Um, but that, that, that last scene with him, <clears throat> so he steals the uh, Class 12 replicators and then he calls Cisco, who's very pissed off right now, realizing that he's been duped by Eddington. And he has that long speech, and he says some pretty... I mean, we've, we've heard some... There's, there have been other threads in DS9 about Starfleet is a false paradise. You know, we've had things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, we had it in that two-parter on Earth. Cisco had the line about um, paradise never been so well-armed. Um, there were a couple other episodes that had similar thoughts and things. Um, but this episode, he really rails against the Federation in a darker way than we've... I mean, he literally compares the Federation to the Borg. He says you know, they're worse says, than the Borg. <laughs> yeah, he says you're worse than the best, right? You assimilate people and they don't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and um, you're just upset because nobody should want to leave Paradise. And so he says some pretty dark things. I mean, this is probably about as as dark and negative as any prior Federation citizen ever says about the Federation. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we definitely learned that Eddington has some anger issues. So, is it, well, is it, is it going too far? Is he being completely uh, disingenuous? Is it fair? Yeah, it's just going to extremes, you know. It's just the, you know, you can you can take any slant and then just expand upon it. One thing I thought, though, was how yeah, I don't know if it was going, saying what he what he said was too far, but it certainly is a contrast, you know. When he starts going off like that, it's like, oh man, this is really him. This dude is slick. I mean, not only this whole time on the show has he, you know, fooled everybody, but got himself to a lieutenant commander rank in the in Starfleet, and then pulled off something. And really, he's like a nut, you know, or whatever. You know, it's it it struck me how man he's got it together. What an actor. I mean. The character being the actor. Yeah, yeah. So, is it that it's slick, or was it is a writing faux pas that it was that he went too far? I think it just makes for better television. Yeah, okay. It makes, it's a, it's a little bit more. It's more dramatic. You know, you got this, mm-hmm. and they're and they're obviously setting up for future episodes here. You know, you want to. They really wanted to create that. You know that hatred. I don't know if hatred might be. I don't think Cisco ever really hates Eddington. I don't think Eddington never really hates Cisco, but that really, that confrontational clash between the two of them. And I think they kind of had to go over the top with this, just so to set up the future episodes that they're going to be doing between and then, the two of and them. And then pushing in on him on the video screen too helped that drama too. That also made it eerie, mm-hmm. you know, because by the time he's done talking, that the whole thing is just filled with that grainy video of him doing it, you know, it made it kind of a kind of eerie while he's in his rant. So- so he does believe these things, you know. That's I guess that's one of the things I'm asking. Ed Eddington believes in these things that he's talking yeah, about. That's how I take it. Yeah, yeah. And don't they? They usually compare. What is it? Um, Les Miserables. Yeah, they, they they start the oh, Les Miserables yeah. comparisons later. I think mm-hmm. next the, season during that brief, that. really yeah. silly experiment with the communication device that lets oh, you yes. the person standing yes. there. Ugh. One of the few. <laughs> uh, mistakes of DS9, but anyway, they, they don't they use that in the last um, next gen movie too, with Tom Harding and Picard, the whole. Uh, I think so, but it's not as silly even there. Okay, it I'm off topic there. Like a, a hologram and the other thing, it's just it's obviously just a guy standing on a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, they get into the Les Rob stuff then and. And uh, from the point of view that Cisco has to get, I remember what Cisco does to finally capture him, and he has to get as dark as we've ever mm-hmm. seen him. He does is pretty, pretty terrible. Um, so I guess from that point of view, setting up these things that he's saying to Cisco today is giving us more room for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's discuss uh, pushing our time on this one. Um, the Cisco Cassidy drama here. Okay, was it was it going too far for Cassidy's character? I'll tell you that I never thought so. I, you know, she's a, she's a strong, independent woman, and she does what she believes in. I, I don't. I, I always believe that she could have done this. It's not like she was carrying weapons. Not that it seems like it makes too much of a difference to Cisco. Um, you know, she was she was uh, smuggling them uh, medical supplies. The only thing that ever bothers me is the the scene um, 
where I think Cisco makes them dinner or something. It's it's uh, Cassidy, Cisco, and Jake, and he kind of says, trying to say it nonchalantly or something, you know, oh, do you ever go by the so-and-so system? And, and she's like, no, I do this and this. And you notice that she's just totally lying, like completely. <laughs> yeah. Worst kind yeah. of lie, the most, the most, <clears throat> like, to, and, and doing it to Cisco, this person that she loves. So that always seemed like um, maybe that one little thing was just, it was such a cold lie, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe that, maybe she need, just needed a beat, you know, mm-hmm. before she could say that for me to buy it. But w- with, with that single scene exception, I've always pretty much bought that she was smuggling these things from the, for the McKee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's totally plausible and... I think it's I think it's good to see imperfect people in the Federation on Star Trek. You know, do you think that scene? Did, did anybody else agree with me? Was that too cold? Maybe I, I see. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But I think the other side of it is someone in that position has to be lying all the time. You know, and yes, it's to Cisco, the man she loves, and so on. But on the other side of it, um, if she's going to be in a relationship with him with a Starfleet captain, she has to kind of protect him by being as convincing as you can because it doesn't want to put him in a compromising position so i don't know she's the character from 24 in this episode <laughs> <laughs> that's right she was uh was she the president the president yeah, the other president's wife yeah, yeah, yeah. um devious devious wife. Say my favorite scene in this episode is uh you guys know me my favorite stuff is always <clears> subtext. <throat> i like i like dialogues that's about something completely different you know uh my favorite scene in this episode is before she goes out to make her last run, and this is the run that she's going to get, the Cisco is going to catch her with the Defiant. And yeah. Cisco comes up, comes to her, and it's just the two of them. And he says, "Don't even go. Just you and me. Let's drop everything right now and go to Rise." Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like the Tholians can wait. And she's like, "No, I can't." Mm-hmm. You know, she goes, well, "It was tempting." I, I like that scene. That scene is is definitely my favorite scene in the episode because, you know, he can't come out and say. I'm trying. <laughs> I don't want to arrest you in an hour. Please. Right, right. You know, he can't. But this this is the best that he can do. And she hasn't she even says it later. She thought that he might have been trying to save her here. Um but really it's only she that can save herself and she doesn't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good old Cass. Yeah, I've made my feelings. I'm I'm not a fan of the Cassidy Yates character at all. Even less so, more we go along. It's yeah, just, I think I, I, one of the fun things about this podcast is, is seeing how it can change my view. Not, I don't mean watching the episodes, but discussing them with you guys every couple of weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, one of the things that, that has changed, Adam, you have slowly planted this thing in, in me now. And like every time I see Cassidy, there's just this tiny question about her and their relationship in a way that I never had before, you know? And it's not like I, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with um, them have, ha- having Cisco in a relationship. But um, the problem is, that if you're going to have a captain in a relationship with a person, or you know, a, a wife, girlfriend, that kind of thing, um, I have the feel that that person should be an A character. And I never feel like we get a whole any really character development from Casty Yates. And going forward from, you know, the next episodes we see, it seems, I'm you know, I'm getting ahead of ourselves. It seems like she ends up nagging him the rest of the time that we see her. You know, you can't be the emissary or you can't have these visions. And it's just, it drives me absolutely crazy that they have this opportunity to kind of show how a captain could be in a loving relationship. And these two, I'm sorry, they don't have any chemistry between the two of them. Well, I think that's what's gotten me just a hair because I we've seen him have... Uh, you remember the red dress? Yeah, so the red dress. He had he had a little chemistry with that woman, even though she didn't have much to do or much to say. He had he had more chemistry there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jennifer, it, it, you know, right, right. It, it's interesting that no other Trek series has tried this. You know, every other Trek series, the captains mm-hmm. had plenty of one episode things or maybe a couple mm-hmm. episode things, relationships. Um, but no other Trek series has tried an ongoing relationship with the for the captain. Uh, I remember Voyager for years, we thought something like that was going to happen between Janeway and Chakotay. And, and, they went you know. exactly the other way. Yeah. Um, and um, so even like she said, never had one. I kind of feel like they just half-assed it with this relationship. It was never, it never really felt real to me. And it, 
it, it kind of it bothers me. It bothers me that it was kind of like if they were going to do this, they should have just done it right and gone all the way and had his love interest be a main character on the show, somebody that they could delve into and have character development. And I think it was kind of like a, you know that's just my opinion. If that they if you're going to do something like that, go all the way and not kind of mm-hmm. here and there have her show up. Because I mean, if you have a girlfriend, that should be an important a girlfriend or wife. That should be an important person in your life you see every day, not you know random every you know tenth episode. But that's just my opinion. Well, some other things do happen in this episode. Uh, Got to be fast here. Uh, I think this is the first time we have actually seen Spring Ball. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talking about it for years, first time we see it, and uh, it looks kind of like racquetball or handball. <laughs> um, the Garrick, the only thing we haven't really talked about, the, the Garrick sub uh, story, um, which is always great because it's Garrick. It's Garrick. And I love their that last scene, the scene with them. them and the, Oh, actually, the scene, uh, my favorite scene with Garrick in this one is probably the, the elevator scene because it's such a Garrick thing. You know, we've, we've set up that he's uncomfortable, but he's, he's intrigued by this half Cardassian woman, the only other one on the station, who happens to be the daughter of his sworn enemy. Um, and he ends up on an elevator alone with her. And it's what can you say? He, it's so Garrick for him to say... <laughs> You know, <laughs> exactly what he, th- you know, he thinks she's probably thinking, you know, you're not going to hurt me, are you? He says that to her. You know, it's such a, mm-hmm. like, um, disarming thing to say. You know, mm-hmm. it's so, it's a wonderful line. I love that. I love that line. And the way he delivers it is so wonderful. You know, and then she says, no, you don't have anything to fear from me. And then that gives him the opportunity to say, and you, my dear, have nothing to fear from me. You know, and that's a great way to set up their relationship. And we're going to see that blossom, um, even though we're going to, change actresses for a third time on <laughs> you know in my research I tried to find out why and never where can I find that I couldn't find why the uh, the girl who played her the first two times isn't here now and this girl isn't going to come back I can't seem to figure that out but yeah. at any rate at least the next time I think is it, it will be the last casting change okay so well, I mean, did, oh go ahead just real, just really in quick comparison you know with the Cisco um, Cassidy relationship and this relationship that we see with um, Garrick forming I see more, you know, you can see more of a bond between um, those two than you could between Cisco. I don't mean to beat a dead horse, Cisco and um, Yates. You felt it. I, I'm, am, I, am I wrong? You felt that there was a connection between Garrick and, and um, Zael? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, what's it about? What's it about? We're over on time on this one. Um, oh, I, I know what I'm going to say, but go ahead. Uh, Steve. Uh, well, I think if there's, okay, I, like, yeah. I, <laughs> I think, I think there, you know, the A and B story, I think one, the only weakness of this, the B story doesn't relate a whole lot to the A story. But if I, if, if I want to say what the episode's about in the A story, for instance, I mean, probably this notion of, uh, make, it's almost like work life balance, you know, like your commitment to some kind of, you know, something you, you want to have, like the episode title for the cause, you know, you, your commitment to that and balancing it with other factors in your life. And, um, I mean, that's most relevant for, um, Cassidy, you know, and how she chooses to come back and, and she still values her relationship yeah, with that gets, and so forth. Yeah. For me, what it's about that there, and there is a relationship there is it's this, this, um, this question of, of trust and, and need and love and, um, you know, Zial is she just wants to have uh, another Cardassian mm-hmm. around. She just wants to be with him and talk with him, um, and she's willing to trust him and put him in this certain spot so they can have that opportunity. Assuming he is willing to do the same, um, and the fact that that Cassidy does come back and, and that's what makes the whole episode kind of work for me and gives it this direction and keeps it from just being this, this, um, uh, Federation, you're worse than the Borg, <laughs> you know, and Eddington outsmarted you. And it would have, no, the fact that that, that last scene, the scene after that is going to be, um, Cassidy coming back and says, Ben, you left me there to see if I'd come back, and here I am. I came back because of us, you know. And he says, "I'll be here um, when you get out of prison." Basically, and <laughs> calls in the guards with their weapons, and they take her away. 
um, he he's always put duty above these kinds of relationships, and and it's interesting to me for those few times when he will choose something else above duty, you know. And really, the only thing we're going to see that with, I think, are, are the uh, his duties uh, and instincts as emissary. Um, we are going to see that like that episode, I believe, is the next season rapture where he's going to he's going to choose. Um, emissary stuff, Bajoran stuff over duty, but here he's choosing duty over love. Duty, duty before mm-hmm. duty. Duty before <laughs> duty. Uh, I, I like you know we've got there are plenty of those scenes where like when they first tell him about Cassidy, it's uncomfortable, and his instinct is to respond, "No, it can't be her. Don't do mm-hmm. anything." And then he'll be like, "Let her, you know, let her go." But then he says, "Okay, follow her with the defiant." Um, so he's he's finding that balance, but he's um, choosing duty first. But he's still saying that I'll be around when you get back. Forgiveness, a little bit of forgiveness in this episode could be about. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I see that. I mean, you have Cisco forgiving Cassidy. Um, you actually have um, Zial kind of forgiving Garrick too, even though. Well, she says you didn't. She say you tortured and killed my grandfather. Or yeah, something? yeah, we, like, yeah, something new we learned about Garrick. But yeah, it's, so he's done some atrocities to her family. So, but she says she doesn't care. She, I, I don't know if that qualifies for forgiveness, but it kind of has that feeling. Yeah, no, I agree with you. That I think that's the direction I was heading without actually ever getting there. <laughs> okay, so cool. we're so over time in this. We got to move on, but. Sounds like we like this episode, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Six degrees for the cause. Uh, Adam, you are down by two, I'm afraid. Steve, John Prosky played Cassidy Yates' bullion engineer that helps her smuggle supplies to the McKee. He also played Otrin in Voyager's seventh season. In this episode, uh, 21st century Earth probe has irradiated a planet, and Voyager must work with Otrin, its chief scientist, to remove the radiation. Uh, name the episode, which also happens to be the name of the probe. I've asked about this episode recently because a different actor uh, was in it. And in that oh, yes, I asked yes. Creation. So now I'm asking for the name of the episode, which again is the name of the probe. Yeah, it's one of, the, uh, it's one of those that I'm kind of, it's there. It's like the tip of my tongue thing. Oh, gosh. Friendship One? That is correct. Yes. Yay! If you had said Enemy Boat Two... <laughs> you would have been incorrect. Yes. Uh, Adam, if you could be best friends forever with one character from this episode, who would it be? If I could be best friends with one character from this episode? There's only one right answer. Garrick. That is correct. All right. So uh, you're still down, but only by two still. All right. <laughs> the easy question. See, not all the questions are so easy as, you know, when suggested in some of the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Another podcast. To the Death, Season 4, Episode 22, Production Number 496, Original Air Date, May 13th, 1996. Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by LeVar Burton, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Brian Thompson as Tumon Tarox, Scott Haven as Barack Kara, Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, and Clarence Williams III as Ometiklan. <laughs> When a Jemadar strike force attacks the station, Cisco takes Worf, Dax, Odo, and O'Brien with the Defiant and pursues them into the Gamma Quadrant. The crew comes upon a disabled Jemadar warship emitting a distress signal and transports aboard the survivors, six Jemadar and Wayun, their Vorta master. Wayun reveals that they were attacked by the same Jemadar who surprised Deep Space Nine. He then tells Sisko privately that the attacks are Jemadar renegades who have turned against the Dominion and are trying to restore an ancient alien gateway a sophisticated transporter that would give them the power to go anywhere instantaneously. I want to know how to find the Jim Hadar who attacked my station. If you want to build a bridge, why don't you start there? I can lead you to them. But there's something I need in exchange. What's that? I want you to help me eliminate them. Well, one thing I was thinking when I was watching this episode... <clears throat> okay. So we have... 
Jem'Hadar rebels from the Gamma Quadrant trying to rebuild the Iconian Gateway. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they were, Iconian. I couldn't remember right, that. Right, right. That's right, um, And Cisco uh, <laughs> and crew on the Defiant team up with Wayun. <laughs> you know, Avorta and the, and they go to stop them. And I was just like, what a Star Trek geeky storyline. <laughs> Could you imagine like playing this episode for somebody who'd never seen Star Trek? They'd be like, Gemma, what the, Vo- what the Aconian, what the, what? They would have no idea what is going on. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I like it so much. I mean, I was just, That's why Steve likes this it. is a good vibe for me. This one, I just really dug it. Uh. Well, it wasn't just all those references, but it also was that it jumped right in, you know. To me, it was like, okay, like, this is totally unrelated, but I recently went to a um, convention for songwriters and music and so forth, talking about components of a song, because I'm a musician, too. This felt like when you have a good pop song, because it just jumps right in, you know. Hmm. You don't have a big, long intro, you know. It just We just we're right into it, and then there's action, and then there's, like, new things thrown in as you go, and new pieces of information coming at you, and then there's the big fight, you know. It's just kind of a... It's fun and it flows and it's got all these geeky references. So I dug it. It's funny to me that when this episode opens, I have no idea. You know, we talk about that game of of seeing how long it takes you to remember which episode it is we're, we're watching, right? Mm-hmm. This one opens and I'm, I have no idea what episode this is. As they're coming in, the station's damaged. I'm like, what episode is this? I have no idea. You know, and it's, it's so fast that then they move away and, you know, we pick up Wayun and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, this is the Iconian gateway stopping thing. Um, but it's, it's funny because it does move fast, like you'd said, and it makes that opening seem so, not non sequitur, but it's just, you forget about it because it's such a brief moment in the episode and it's the very, very beginning. Um... And also, to me, that makes it feel a little more cinematic, too, like an element of it where you have something big deal happening, yet you, you blow over it a little bit. You know, when you have like a big deal happen, like, oh, my gosh, look how bad the station's damaged, and you just kind of like, oh, but we got to go get them. Let's go. Then, then <laughs> that feels like cinematic. You know, it feels like just you just brush over something you've never seen before It's because it's so big, we're going to go at it. I don't know. Yeah. That's how it struck me. It's like they, they formed a posse and went after him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the biggest thing to come out of this episode really is Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, yeah. Awesome Wei-Yun. actor. And now he's back as Wei Yun. I don't know if this Wei Yun has a number. I suppose it would have been should have been one, but um he, he's number one for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I like to see whenever he says to Cisco, what if I what if I could Supreme offer you the ruler. position of Supreme Ruler of all Federation? <laughs> Just doing my job. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> as Ira Bear said, um, Jeffrey Combs was was the actor who sold the Vorta as the Vorta and for the Vorta. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they they <laughs> Vorta didn't mean so much until Jeffrey Combs played a Vorta. Yeah, well, yeah they do. we've seen a couple since. <clears throat> yeah, we have seen a couple. But yeah, he he cements it. Yeah, he he's yeah. great. They're like, uh, yeah. Then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, they're like the agents or whatever. You know, that that's you know, mm-hmm. he wants to, it's once he's doing it. You know, it's they're controlling things like that. Yeah. The scene in the mess hall is great when he's giving them their their white. He's like, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because because he's rattling off. That was something that struck me funny. Is like he's he's rattling off this mantra, like like you got to go through it. Like, all right, I pledge allegiance to the flag or something. You know, it's just kind of like, oh, I got to say it and do it. And then and then he still doesn't care. He kind of he kind of like almost make. It's almost like he's rolling his eyes every time they say something like that too. It's like (laughs) when they go into battle and I'm 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 dead and he's like, okay, here we go. You know, it's kind of like that. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else feel like, I don't know, Dax Dax has what are supposed to be some funny lines in this episode. No sleep, no food, no women, ostensibly. But like every scene of hers seems so inconsequential in the last few episodes that we watched. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, It's kind of weird. Yeah. I couldn't help but thinking, you know, um, what was it when we were watching the fight scene? It kind of reminded me of Blood Oath. I mean, you have just like, you have this small group of, um, you know, because... 
well, there are not that many people on um, mm-hmm. the Defiant, and there's not that many Jemadar soldiers. And then they're talking about like um, 150 Jemadar soldiers they're going to have to go up with. It kind of <laughs> reminded me of like Blood Oath, you know? It's just like this yeah, small it's band all going in, up. in combat. There's a lot of outdoor shots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they're probably done in the same forest, too. Uh, they shot at um, the Bird Sanctuary in Griffith Park in LA, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode was the first Star Trek episode the TV censors had to cut down. It's the first time they got edited because they actually did fight way more Jemadar and kill way more Jemadar. Um, and the censors took it up. Yeah. Which like, is unusual for Star Trek. Was it um, to get a little bloody or just too many people dying? Maybe it was just too many. I don't know, but I would, I wish we could see that. It's one of those things you read about it and you're like, ah, oh, why, why can't there was a cut somewhere that had, Mm-hmm. Several more minutes of Jemadar getting killed, and like <laughs> it makes you think funny things. Like I can't. It makes me think of scenes that are like silly, silly, violent. You know, like he's pulling out people's entrails and stuff. It's like I might be over the top there, you know. <laughs> or eating a Jemadar's heart. Yeah, <laughs> that's why we oh. ended up no sleep, no food, and then scene for Dax. You know, because the- we can uh, hope, we can hope it it'll be on the Blu-ray on the Blu-ray disc, right? It does make me laugh. The scene when, um, oh god, I don't, is it Om, Omnitrix? Whatever the 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 first, the Jemadar first. You know, oh, so yeah. they they're in the mess hall, and Brian Thompson's character, whatever his name is, he gets into the fight with Worf, and they come in, and the two captains are there, and the first says, "Okay, come here," and then he breaks his neck and kills him, and then everybody just turns to Cisco, like like <laughs> Cisco is now going to kill Worf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been an awkward moment so, for right, I killed I killed him. Now what are you gonna do? Yeah. Said, Bad boy, go to your room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was an awkward moment for Warp because it's just kinda like, uh, what do I do? <laughs> he kinda Michael Dorn kinda had that look on his face, like, uh <laughs> what just happened here? Uh it, the gateway stuff is all that okay, Iconian stuff, is that consistent with what we saw in Next Gen? I believe so. Steve, you're our yeah. next gen expert. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. I don't think they go into enough detail to risk creating a conflict with information previously given. Yeah. Um. So overall, the story moves fast enough that I guess you don't really. So this was something I was thinking about when um when I was watching this. So we had that episode. I can't remember if it was this season where O'Brien and um Bashir they end up on that that planet with the Renegade um. Jemadar, where they're trying mm-hmm. to, you know, get free of catch yourself white. Mm-hmm. And so that was a little bit more serious. Well, I actually was a lot more serious of an episode than the one we see here. This is more fun battle. And, but it kind of had the same elements, these renegade Jemadar. And, uh, um, you know, we don't ever see that. I'm, am I wrong? Do we ever see any kind of renegade Jemadar storylines again? Again? Feels like we don't. I don't think I mean, so. this is something, I don't know. It, it, uh, it might have been kind of cooler to see another one because they 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 set it up and they had they've had two episodes but I guess they never really go back to it. Um, What's the episode where they is it like the <laughs> two ships or crash land on a planet and then they have to they do a lot of fighting? Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Yeah, yeah isn't that where they get they those, they, they take those the normal Jemadar, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't I don't remember any more Rebel Jemadar, but you're right. They give you this feeling that this is going to be a common thing, right? Um, yeah, but although it's interesting that there's there's the scene uh, I think it's in the turbo lift in this episode where um, William just made it clear that he's trying to keep the information secret from <laughs> Jemadar about the Alconian Gateway, you know, and the first Jemadar says, "We know about the Gateway. Our devotion to the founders is far greater than the Vortis. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, we have no interest in joining this rebel group uh, or using the Gateway. We just want to do what the founders want." Um, but you know, but when then when you hear stuff like that, you're like, well, then how do the other guys rebel? You know? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the weakest point in this is that why how, why is this happening exactly? How is this whole pack of Jim Hadar all doing this? You know, uh, like Caesar referenced that episode with with Bashir, and that one we had an explanation because there was one guy, yeah, who had somehow weaned himself off of the white, yeah, you know, and that made the other the other ones in that episode, the other Jim Hadar think that maybe they could be, you know, independent, sentient, separate people as well. So that, we had an answer for why in that episode. But in this episode, yeah, I, I, there's nothing, like, because they can? I don't know. I think it's just the nature of the episode. This was kind of, this was a fun roller coaster episode where we, we talked about earlier. It's just, 
but it's going it's fine and it's weak as far as why would be an explanation as to why we don't see any more rebel Jemadar and they probably put that to bed mm-hmm. it, it, emails yeah. that they're like the, the first five episodes of season five are all rebel Jemadar <laughs> oh my god I really didn't think that was the case it's even called the Rebel Jim Hadar. <laughs> it's like, oh, that one. Yeah. yeah. A, we'll just chalk it up as to being censored out of the episode. <laughs> oh. What's this episode about, guys? Loyalty? And the shades of loyalty and the different ways of interpreting what that means. I don't know. Sounds good. <laughs> Loyalty is as good as anything. And what it means. And it's di- it means different things. You know, obviously, um, the the notion of uh, cross-cultural differences. I mean, loyalty to one, mean, to, for one group, it means someone disobeys a couple of orders and you kill him. And the other side, uh, you know, loyalty to another side is you, my, uh, my people trust me because they know I take care of them, you know. But it's, the notion is still loyalty. Does Cisco respect the other side? It's clear that the other side doesn't respect, you know, the first doesn't respect anything uh, that Cisco is saying there. But does he does he see this logic of what of the Jemadar's point of view? No, I think he might have had a little bit of respect for him up until the point when he killed his first. I think after that it was just like I got to get this mission mission done. I got to work with these people and. Well, then Cisco saves the first's life uh, on the mission. And he and the first says, "Why did you do that when I already told you I was going to kill you when this is over?" And mm-hmm. he said, "If you have to ask, you're never going to understand." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I chalk that up as Cisco being Cisco. I mean, he's fighting with this guy, and you know, he's on. They're on the same side at this moment. You protect the people that are you're fighting with, and that's Cisco's nature, and that's what he. I don't, you know, I don't really think he, Cisco could like this guy. Just because so, of the nature of what he did. I mean, Cisco, maybe you can... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, Cisco, go ahead. And, Cisco and crew, they've got more of a... They, they've got a personal defense reason for stopping these these Jemadar. You know, but this loyalty question, you know, and, and, I, and I agree that that's probably what it's about. Um, it's more interesting to me that the Jemadar are stopping the Jemadar. Um, you know, it, like in that Bashir episode... We discussed uh, at the end of it. He personally, the 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 Jemadar that is was off the white said personally he was going to go and kill them because mm-hmm. um, they were loyal to him and they deserved that. Mm. Yeah, I think I think in the in the end it's they're they're. The, the Jem'Hadar that was sided with the Federation are going to go kill the rebel Jem'Hadar because of loyalty to their to the founders, to the founders, founders and, to, yeah. and to their moral code. In, in the sense, their moral code, which is really just genetic engineering, but you know, their loyalty to the founders, that's why, that's why they're going to go kill them. It's, it's interesting that they're totally recognized that it's in their, that it's in their genetics. As yeah, yeah. And they don't care. They're fine with that. You know? Uh-huh. And, and it's, purely to the founders that's interesting to me too he, he doesn't hesitate to kill Wei Yun <laughs> you're right right it's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's, it's almost yeah it's almost that kind of questions the system a little bit because you're wondering okay really if they're all that loyal then why do you have the white number one and two okay so then you say well the Vorta are there to administer the white but if it's all redundant you know it's like why do you need them just because you know it, but I guess maybe not every Jim Hadar is quite is loyal and, and determined as this as the first we see in this episode, perhaps. Well, something else we learned. I mean, the, like the white is their all their the only nourishment they have. It's their their food, their water, everything. Then we find out that mm-hmm. they don't eat, drink, or do anything right. else. It's like this is all they. This is their only nourishment, and I think that's the first time we kind of learned this in this episode. Right, right. And I guess when the founders engineered that, they said, "Hey, while we're at it, let's just make them addicted to it too, so they can't <laughs> leave us." Okay, cool. Works out. Do you think maybe the um, the white is more so they are loyal to the so they obey the Vorta because the Vorta obviously are the ones who control the white. It's not so they're genetically. They, they I, lo- I mean, in their way, they love the founders. But it almost seems like like in this episode, they're not really doing. They're not really following commands from the Vorta, right? You know, he's, they're they're going to destroy the gateway because they think that's in the best interest of the founders, and that's where their loyalty lies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you but know, they have to deal with Wayun because there's, he's the there's one who this, can open the there's light. this sense that that Wayun's sense of command or control over the the Jem'Hadar is is completely fake and false. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can buy that. Yeah, that is what's strange. Is like you could say it's a circular argument. You know, okay, well they're loyally loyal to the Vorta because the Vorta control the white. But why do they even need the white when they just don't seem to really need a, a, the Vorta commanding them because they know what to do? It's, you know what I think it is, and this is. In a way, the Jemadar are an incredibly consistent species. You know, it's almost like they live purely for loyalty. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't have they don't have women or food or drink or party or anything. <laughs> um, their their sense of loyalty and dedication to the founders is all they have that that uh, defines them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm cutting our conversation off because we are so over time. And it's all <laughs> Steve's fault. Okay. Steven! Six degrees to the death. Oh, Adam. Scott is, Haven. What? I was going to say, does this mean Steven and I have to fight? Get out the, yeah, to the, to the death. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Go. We're going to play that music from... Um, Adam Scott Haven plays Verak Kara, the Jem'Hadar assigned to Lieutenant Dax that is incapable of fun. In Voyager Season 2 Cliffhanger and Season 3 Opener, Basics Parts 1 and 2, he played the Kazon Nystrom that killed insane Ensign Suter. Who played Ensign Suter? Ensign Suter? What is his name? Can make me run over to my Lord of the Rings box and look at the. <laughs> I, I can't remember. His, I can't remember his name. I know he's been in a ton of stuff, but I can't for the life of me recall his name. Steve. Oh, I I, I knew it one time. I'm racking <laughs> my brain here. Um, <laughs> um gosh. Warm tongue. That's yeah. His warm tongue, but that's not his actual name. And uh, and cuckoo's Chucky. nest, of course. The other thing. Right, cuckoo's nest. Sure. Chucky, uh, yeah, he was Chucky. I loved him in um, Deadwood. He was the doctor. He's great in that. Yeah. I'm just blanking on his name. I'm not going to come up with it. His name is Brad Dorff. Oh, of course. Dorf. All right, so the score is still three, two, one. one. All right, Steve, just so that you can uh, seal the nails to the coffin. <laughs> uh, Brian Thompson plays the Jem'Hadar. Toman Tarex. He receives a slightly stiffer penalty for fighting in the mess hall than Worf did. Uh, I've asked about him... Mm, his uh, many Trek roles before, but not his three-part appearance in Enterprise's fourth season as Admiral Valdor in the episodes Babel One, United, and the ER. Valdor's species wasn't seen much in Enterprise. What species was it? What species did he, did uh, Brian Thompson play on Enterprise? Jeez. Yeah. Uh. Hmm. Not, uh, I'm not coming up with it. Wasn't seen much on Enterprise, huh? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Adam? What species did he play in Enterprise? Um, wasn't seen much in, um, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I could, I could make the, up some goofy hint, answer, but I'm not going to. The hint, guys, it. is that it's, his species wasn't seen much in Enterprise. In fact, they weren't seen for many decades until the original series. Oh, clever. Yes, clever. That's right. He was Romulan. <laughs> uh, so, 3 1. Eh, not a complete shutout. <clears throat> All right, folks. So, um, let's see. A uh, couple things here. So, we're posting this podcast on um, the 17th of November. So on December 1st, we are going to post um, our next podcast, which will be discussing the final three episodes of DS9's fourth season. And then two weeks after that, so um, uh, the 15th of December, we're going to do kind of a little holiday-themed episode. We're going to take a mini break and not do our normal thing. Uh, We're going to talk about some of our favorite we're just going to generally kind of make our own little lists of favorite episodes. Let's do top 10 and maybe even our top. We're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do our top 10 all Star Trek episodes 
very, very brief, like a couple of sentences discussion. We're not going to go into great detail, but from all series, each one of us is going to come up with a 10 top 10 list. And then we're going to put the, our favorite movies in our order. And then we're also going to tell a couple of um, just personal Star Trek stories. Um, so it's just going to be a little fun diversion episode. And if any of our listeners want to you know, send us an email or even record yourself an MP3, that's fine. Keep it to under a minute. If you've got a little personal Star Trek story, even better if it's a little holiday story. Maybe you got something great for Christmas. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll throw it in there too then. So that's what we're going to do on the 15th. And then we're going to take three weeks off instead of two and come back on um, Thursday, January 5th. And that's when we're going to kick off DS9's fifth season. Uh, and that's where so far we've got three listeners that have responded wanting to be on the show. And we're going to get you on starting in season five. So that's going to be next month. And um or excuse me, actually, that'll be January, but um, we're going to get all three of you guys that have responded so far uh, on the show. It'll be three separate episodes, but anybody else that wants to join, just let us know. Um, so I've got you guys, uh, I received your emails, and I'm going to you know, plan it out so that you can each get to talk about an episode that you wanted to talk about, probably a couple episodes. Um, so that's kind of our schedule for the next whatever number of weeks wanted to give you a heads up on that so we'll be back in two weeks for the last three episodes of ds9's fourth season in the meantime you can uh, follow us on twitter that's at trek companion i just posted a link was it yesterday they they put out some new footage of uh of next gen and hd did you guys see it the new stuff they put out this mm-hmm, week mm-hmm. oh my god it looks it's the first time i've seen it and thought wow it looks like a different show it's gonna be so mm-hmm, awesome mm-hmm. i can't wait awesome. awesome although there was the bad news did you guys hear about this uh that they're missing 13 seconds of footage from Sins of the Father. Mm-hmm. Which raises yeah. the question, how often this is going to come up? That's, that oh, was yeah. exactly my concern, too. So the second I heard that, I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. But th- this is their sampler disc coming out. <laughs> four episodes. <laughs> yeah. And already, of the first four episodes they're putting out, to show off how, the job they're doing, there's going to be a 13-second shot that they're going to have to upconvert from standard def. That's what makes me concerned. If that was like happening once the whole series i'd be cool with it but now mm-hmm. i'm afraid if this happens every four episodes you know that's mm-hmm. gonna suck a lot and that's very disappointing so hopefully this doesn't pretend things to come i don't know um but that footage looks good wow <laughs> uh so you can follow us on on um twitter at trek companion take the link to see that new footage if you haven't seen it uh facebook.com slash trek companion that's our listener page on facebook um, send us an email which would be trekcompanion at gmail.com and until next time sorry we went over again it was totally totally who'd I say Steve's fault yeah oh yes S- Steven yeah and uh, we will catch you next time take care bye. guys bye have a good Thanksgiving bye